Can we ever hear the Christmas story too many times? Have you gotten tired of it yet? No? Good. I, I was going to ask some of the, the ones who have probably heard it in here the most. Mr. Falk, have you, have you grown weary of hearing about the, the birth of our Savior? Amen. Yeah, amen. The Lord is good. We have a good God. And here we are, we sit again in this blessed place in the world where we can again rehearse the story, tell it to our children, pass it on to the next generation. It's a beautiful thing. This is how God has designed it to be. And even for us who have heard it, rehearsed it, enacted it um, in pageants and plays and sung songs about it countless times, it still moves our heart, and it should every Christmas, that God became one of us. It's a beautiful Beautiful truth. I'm never going to grow tired of talking about it. And as long as he gives me an opportunity to speak, I'm going to keep doing it. Because he's a good savior. And he's changed our lives. Would you bow with me and let's ask God's blessing on his word. Father, we just continue to give testimony to your goodness. You're a good father. You are a wonderful father. You are perfect in all your ways. And that you would have such a plan That from the very beginning, even before you created the world, you foresaw all things and you knew what it would cost to redeem for yourself a family of children. Not out of of simply being born into your family with no choice, but instead a family of children who would choose you. And that we would have to be redeemed out of our sin in order for that choice to be able to become reality. And you set everything in motion. You arranged all the pieces for hundreds and even thousands of years. And you brought everything into perfect harmony on that perfect night when your son was born into the world. And as Matthew gives testimony, all of these things lined up in such a way that they were a fulfillment of prophecies. Dozens upon dozens of prophecies that took place, many of them centuries earlier. And yet, in one perfect night, you fulfilled all of them. And so, Lord, we thank you that all of these things just show the truth that is you. This is not just a nice fairy tale that we tell ourselves every year. No, it is truth. It's reality, and it's changed our lives. Thank you, Lord. And now as we hear the story once more, I I simply pray by your Holy Spirit, would you give us fresh ears uh, to hear a story that's so familiar and yet to maybe consider it from another perspective. In your name I ask this, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, of course, this morning is the celebration of Jesus' birthday, and as Vern already pointed out, we've celebrated uh, a good number of birthdays today. Happy birthday, Gertie. And one that was not on the list is it's Felicia Joe's birthday today as well, so happy birthday, Felicia. (laughs) And there there are a couple of others as well, so... (laughs) To be able to to share a birthday with our Savior is... uh, uh, I think it's a precious thing, even though when I think of those of you who have birthdays around Christmas time, I always think as kids, the present thing, you kind of get the short end of the stick a little bit, a bit of a raw deal, because everyone always forgets about birthday presents, because, well, they already gave you a Christmas present. So I hope it all evens out in the end, though. It, it is a special thing. I begin this morning with a story. A four-year-old girl. This four-year-old girl often forgot to close the door when coming in from outside. And on one such occasion, her frustrated father scolded her and said, Shut that door! Were you born in a barn? 
Well, at this rebuke, the little girl stopped, looked up at her father, and then with an innocent smile said, No, but Jesus was. (laughs) Now, this simple fact, this thing that all of us know, that Jesus was born in a barn, laid in a manger, this is something that every child knows. It's one of the very first things that we rehearse at Christmas time. You know, we sang away in a manger. We know this, and it's become so familiar to us that we don't even think of the ramifications of what that actually means, that a baby was born in a barn, laid in a manger. Because this simple truth tells us that Jesus' entry into this world was far from normal. For while it's tempting to whitewash the nativity scene into a serene picture of domestic bliss, you know, complete with friendly shepherds and smiling animals, I think we actually do ourselves a disservice by doing so. In fact, if something even remotely similar were to happen to us or to someone we knew, if something like this were to happen today, we wouldn't consider it domestic bliss. No, we would consider it a family crisis. We would call it an emergency. We would call the prayer chain. You know, people would be up you know, and concerned, and rightfully so, if a situation like this were to unfold today. In the category of truth being stranger than fiction, in the year 1247, a hospital was founded in England called St. Mary of Bethlehem. Two centuries later, this hospital was converted into an institution for the mentally insane. Now, in those dark ages, the feeble-minded were chained and abused like animals, and the institution became known throughout the country for its noise and confusion. Along the way, the original name of St. Mary's of Bethlehem was gradually shortened to Bethlehem, and that word soon became synonymous with a wild uproar and confusion. The word that we use today in our English language as bedlam. Bedlam originated from the word Bethlehem. And how ironic is it that from what we view as an idyllic and serene Bethlehem came our English word for confusion, for uproar, for bedlam. But yet, if we can somehow set aside our image of, you know, the cute children we saw on the stage last night dressed up in their their house robes and, and everything else from our nativity scenes and our Christmas pageants, if we can somehow set that aside for the moment and objectively consider all of the elements of the Christmas story that we just had read for us earlier from the book of Matthew. If we look at all of these elements of the story objectively, Bedlam is a fairly accurate description. This is not a scene of domestic bliss. It is one of a family in crisis. First, let's consider how Mary and Joseph's marriage began in the first place. It didn't begin with a great celebration. No, in fact, it began with a scandal. Here, a young, chaste woman from a respectable Jewish family engaged to be married to a respectable and righteous Jewish man is discovered to be pregnant outside of wedlock. Now, we can well imagine the shock, the sorrow, and the shame, the humiliation that Mary's parents must have felt when they learned this news. The only hint we are given to Mary's parents is where we read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, that Joseph was a righteous man and did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, and so he intended to put her away quietly. Now, this process of attempting to put her away, away quietly would have entailed a painful, 
awkward and humiliating meeting with Mary's father. Dowries would have had to have been returned or arrangements made for their repayment. Of course, we know that the angel's visit changed all of that for Joseph, but no one else would have known about that visit or would have believed it if Joseph had told them. A virgin conceiving a child was as impossible and unbelievable back then as it is today. So think about this. To absolutely everyone else, Joseph agreeing to take the pregnant Mary as his wife was an admission of guilt. By doing so, he was saying, the child is mine. And this meant to everyone else that Joseph, a righteous man, by everyone else's account, had not been so righteous. He had not kept his passion in check, and therefore, he would carry this stigma with him. Oh, how the tongues must have wagged and the gossips gossiped. If you think that Christians can be overly critical and judgmental today when something similar to this happens, let me just tell you, it pales in comparison to the hypercritical, ultra-religious, and entirely legalistic system of the first century Jews. For within the Mosaic law, there was even a provision for an adulteress to be stoned to death. The account in John chapter 8 of the woman caught in adultery that was dragged before Jesus is a perfect example of this. So if Joseph had insisted, if he had insisted that the child was not his and he wanted to publicly clear his name, he could have gone so far as having Mary and the child she carried in her womb cruelly executed by stoning. But Joseph knew the truth. The angel had told him the reality that this child was not another man's. No, it was a miracle baby, a special child conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was unlike any other child before or since, and believing the angel's message, the knowledge was enough for Joseph. So with little ceremony and undoubtedly no lavish wedding feast, Joseph takes Mary to be his wife. Of course, that didn't change the fact that in the eyes of Mary and Joseph's family, friends, and community, their marriage was begotten in sin and would forever carry that stigma in their eyes. It's not exactly a great start for a marriage. Next, consider that the political climate of Judea was tense. It was filled with fear and the constant threat of violence under the Roman occupation and their puppet government led by the cruel and paranoid King Herod. It was that same government's mandatory census for the purpose of further taxation of an already heavily taxed people that forced Joseph and the now nine months pregnant Mary into making a difficult journey to Bethlehem. Nazareth is far north of Jerusalem. Bethlehem is south of Jerusalem. This is a long, many-day journey. And so a nine-month pregnant, consider this, any of you who have, as, as women mothers who have been pregnant, consider the prospect of riding on a bumpy donkey on a many-day journey, likely sleeping either under the stars or in some floor in a rough inn somewhere when you're nine months pregnant. You know, who wants to sign up for a journey like that? Not exactly how you want to deliver your firstborn, and yet this is the situation that Joseph and Mary are forced into by the government. They are forced to go to their hometown to register in the census for further taxation. Then, upon their arrival, they finally arrive in in Bethlehem. They can't check into the local hospital. They can't even check into the local inn. 
They are forced to find shelter from the cold night in a stable, a barn. Very likely one carved into a dingy cave, carved out of the rock. And there in that dirty, smelly, unhygienic place with no nurses, no doctors, no epidurals, and quite possibly not even a midwife, Joseph delivers a son that is not even his own into a very dangerous world, one that would in very short time have a homicidal King Herod sending his soldiers to kill him, which would force them to flee as refugees to Egypt. Now, as I consider all of these elements as a father myself, when I attempt to put myself into Joseph's shoes, let me tell you that the situation seems anything but serene or peaceful or idyllic like we see it on the front of a Christmas card. No, crisis upon crisis seems to be more accurate. Now, perhaps on this Christmas morning, 2016, you're here this morning and you are feeling serene and peaceful. You are feeling all of the great joy of Christmas morning and the Christmas cheer is just bubbling up out of you. And I hope that is the case for all of you. However, it's quite possible that here this morning of Christmas 2016, some of you can identify with Mary and Joseph's stressful situation, at least in some way. Of course, Christmas is supposed to be a happy time. It's supposed to be a time filled with celebration and family and festivities. And you know that at this time you are supposed to just be bursting at the seams with love, joy, peace, and goodwill to all. Right? That's the time of year this is for. You know you're supposed to be feeling all of those things, but perhaps the reality is you're not. Now, it's not that you don't have any good feelings or that you don't want to have more of this. It's just that perhaps the circumstances of your life have gotten in the way. Perhaps some of you are dealing with things right now that are sapping the joy of Jesus' salvation, his birth into this world. They're sapping the joy from your soul and from your heart and from your reality today. Perhaps some of you are dealing with depression or anxiety or you're attempting to help someone who is. Perhaps some of you are struggling with finances and you're feeling the pressure and you're cringing at all of the extra bills that pile up at this time of the year. Perhaps some of you are struggling spiritually. You're wondering where God is in your life or why he doesn't seem to be revealing himself to you the way that he once did. Perhaps some of you are dealing with a lack of purpose or direction. You're not sure where to go next and you've been praying and looking for direction but it just doesn't seem to be revealing itself to you and you're wondering, well, what's the point of all of this? Perhaps some of you have lost a loved one, and you're now experiencing your first Christmas apart, and you're feeling the absence of their laughter and presence so keenly right now. Perhaps some of you are here this morning and you feel insignificant, as though your life doesn't matter. Perhaps you've been treated unfairly or harshly by others in the past year. Perhaps some of you are estranged from family, or you're simply struggling with them. And either you won't be seeing them at all this Christmas, or when you do see them, the relationship is strained. There's something between you, and it's just not what it used to be. 
Because unresolved hurts and words and differences of belief or opinion have built up this seemingly impenetrable wall of separation. And there are many, many more scenarios that we could continue to list. So into the reality of our lives, into the reality of your circumstances, what does the story of Christmas and the baby born in a barn, what does it have to say to the reality of the painful and difficult and challenging circumstances of our lives? Well, first, I believe that when we take off the rose-tinted glasses and examine the actual circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth, we discover that his coming to earth was surrounded by the exact same circumstances, the exact same problems and challenges and pains that we face today. Probably even more so than most. The fact is, God did not avoid the problems of this world. Instead, he entered this world right in the middle of all of its pain. He entered it right in the heart of all of its difficulty, smack dab in the middle of its political uncertainty and upheaval and turmoil, and he met with people exactly where they are. The shepherds didn't need to dress up for Jesus that night, did they? They still smelled like sheep when they showed up at the barn, and guess what? They fit in because they were in a barn. He met with people exactly where they were, and so too he wants to meet with us exactly where we are. Whatever your circumstances, don't feel that you need to somehow conjure up the the Christmas cheer or the feelings or, or whitewash your circumstances before you can meet the Savior. No, he comes to meet us where we are. And this morning, the Lord Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is ready to meet with you personally, individually, exactly where you are this moment. So if you're not feeling particularly loving or joyful or hopeful or peaceful right now, that's okay. It's okay. In fact, stop trying to conjure up those feelings. Stop throwing on a forced smile. Stop feeling guilty for not feeling as festive as you think you should be feeling. Instead, at Christmas, just just pause, stop, and focus on Jesus. And focus on what he has already done for you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 to 3 says this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, from his conception to his birth, through his life and culminating in his cruel death, Jesus received the absolute worst that this world can throw at someone. But instead of being crushed by it, Jesus endured it, and he overcame it all. And so since Jesus has already won the war with Satan, sin, and death, what circumstances are you currently facing that's too much for God? What enemy remains that could rob you of your salvation? Is there any? What can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Do we need to rehearse it? Nothing and no one that has ever been created, whoever be created, can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the answer being nothing and no one can separate us from his love, then why do we so easily allow the troubles of this world and the attacks of the enemy to quench our love? 
sap our joy and steal our inner peace. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, Jesus came to give us a full life. Not just on Christmas morning, but every day, year-round. So if this Christmas morning, 2016, in your mind, in your mind, in your spirit, in your heart, in your soul, you know that right now, your life isn't full the way you know that Jesus wants it to be. If you know that, I want to tell you from God's word today, take heart and take hope. Jesus is ready to help you. Welcome him into your circumstances this day. Why not just ask him for that help with whatever you're facing right now? I've learned that one of the most powerful prayers you'll ever pray in your life is only three words long. Jesus, help me. It's a powerful prayer, and when you really mean it, he comes and he helps. It doesn't make all of our problems just run away in an instant, but his presence, oh, it changes everything. He's there with us in our circumstances. Jesus, help me. Let's welcome him in to our circumstances this Christmas. The story is told, true story, that Peter I, Emperor of Russia, was a man of energy, great ideas, as well as strange moods. In one such mood, he decided to play the part of a beggar in a certain village within his realm. And so from door to door, he tramped through the snow asking for help. And at each door, he would be turned away with either a harsh word or simply the door slammed in his face. Finally, at one extremely humble home, a poor man showed him some kindness, invited him in, and shared his simple supper with him. The very next day, that same poor man was astonished to see the emperor's royal carriage stop outside his poor home and then shocked when Peter I emerged, dressed in his now royal attire. The invitation was then extended. You welcome me into your home. Now allow me to return the favor and welcome you into mine. And from that day forward, the poor man went and lived in the royal palace of the emperor in Moscow. You see, like that man... Don't wait until you feel that you have something good enough to offer the king. Don't wait until you feel spiritual enough or strong enough to welcome Jesus into your life. Because remember, it's not up to you to fix your life, your circumstances, or even your feelings. That's his work. And so whether for the first time or for the hundredth time, welcome the humble Savior into your heart, your home, your circumstances, and you will discover that the King of Kings, the Lord of Glory, will bring his royal provisions to your aid, and one day we will be living with him in his royal palace. So no matter what struggles you have, no matter what the condition of your life, God came for you. He really did. God came to enter the reality of our lives and begin making all things new, from a barn and a manger to the cross to glory, and to Clarny, Manitoba, Clarny Mennonite Church, December 25th, 2016. He is still in the process of making all things new, and he's working on our lives to that end, 
when one day, very soon perhaps, we will see his face. But remember, he won't force his way in. He enters by invitation only. So how about you? Have you invited him into your life? Your marriage, your family? If not, what do you have to lose? What are you waiting for? Invite him in and see what he has in store for you. This Christmas and all year long. Would you bow with me? Jesus, help us. With whatever the circumstances that are represented here in this assembly today, O Lord, I intercede and I say, Jesus, help. Bring your heavenly provisions to our assistance. Whatever the circumstances that are being faced right now, we know that you are not lacking in supply or provision to answer our prayers above and beyond what we can even ask or think. And so, Lord, I pray for families represented in this room. I pray, Lord, for, a, for strained relationships. I pray, Lord, for where there is heartache, where there has been separation. Oh, Lord, bring healing. May your Holy Spirit even go before family gatherings that are yet to take place, that, Lord, walls could be broken down and words of love and appreciation could be spoken. Lord, we pray that as we gather as family and friends, that your spirit would be in our spirit, that we would be ready and willing to speak of you and point to you and what you've done in our lives. Because it's not about us this Christmas, it's about you. And so, Lord, thank you that you are here to help us, to carry us forward, and that we go in your name. Thank you that we can be your children. We are so blessed. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.